Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So the big news that I'm sure most people have already seen is that Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the GOP primary. He is no longer in the hunt for that presidential seat. Now, I think it was pretty obvious that this was coming after he canceled a number of appearances. He wasn't going to be on uh, some interviews with, I believe, CNN and, and others. And it, it seemed very clear that after the loss of momentum in Iowa, that he was going to have a very difficult time finding a way forward for his campaign. So joining me today to discuss all things Ron DeSantis and the GOP primary is the Prudentialist, everyone's favorite frog. Thank you for joining me, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Oren. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. You know, we, we have to do rank pen, punditry and uh, yeah, that. That's why you're, why you're here. You're here to suffer through <laughs> the rank punditry with me. We'll get back to some kind of theory soon, I promise, guys. But but this this is important. I think there's many lessons to learn from what happened with the Ron DeSantis campaign and what the GOP primary is going to look like going forward. So I guess first things first, were you surprised at all? I mean, I, I know you you made the call <laughs> on the show, but 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 I have to fray, yeah, I have to do the were you surprised? It's tradition at this point. Uh, it, it, it is tradition every time I come on. Uh, no, I, well, I was surprised by how soon he dropped out. I figured that his he would have gotten a campaign shot in the arm after a second place finish in Iowa that that might have rejuvenated him a little bit. But I think after you look at the polls in. Uh, New Hampshire, things were not looking good for him, and uh, I, I think that was sort of the death knell, was is that you can win one state pretty well, but as soon as the race is being shaped by the press, that there's no way out for you. I think, um, Ron, or, yeah, Gerdusky, Ryan James Gerdusky put out a great article talking about sort of these campaigns, now they all work for Ted Cruz in 2016, that uh, this seemed like Ron DeSantis was the sort of Trumpism without the Trump, anti-Trump kind of movement that people wanted to have some alternative that wasn't the the Nikki Haley's of the world. But yeah, uh, I, I'm only surprised by the timeline. But to me, really, the bigger news out of all of this was uh, apparently, uh, you know, Senator Tim Scott is now engaged. And so, you know, you've got that going for you. I, I, I thought that was bigger news than anything else. That's one less confirmed bachelor in the Senate. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah, he he got that um, uh, he he got that Charlie Crist uh, uh, marriage real quick. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, yeah, Charlie Crist back when he was governor. Lin of Lindsey Graham, most effective. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Indeed, uh, but but yeah, so, so suddenly has that marriage just in time to to possibly acquire himself a a VP slot. But uh, <laughs> you know, no no convenience there, I'm sure. So moving forward, anyway. Uh, so yeah, I was also I I knew that the pressure was going to be on after the Iowa result. I mean, yes, he came in ahead of Haley. Now it's sad that that even needed to be a question for his campaign. Early on, Ron DeSantis was polling relatively close to Trump. I mean, is still losing, but but his, his numbers looked competitive. It looked like uh, you know he he had a chance in there. Obviously, the story of his campaign has been the story of really falling numbers for him. We'll get we'll get into why in a second. But the fact that a second place finish just one point ahead of Haley looked okay kind of spoke to where his campaign had fallen to, how desperate it had become. I think originally the plan for the DeSantis campaign was get him there, uh, you know, beat Trump uh, soundly or, 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 you know, come in just behind to show that he could bleed, to show that, you know, uh, evangelical voters were kind of up for grabs, 
that he could build momentum among some of those social conservatives that Trump might have lost due to kind of his positions on things like uh, the pro-life issue or his, his general foibles in his personal life. The people who are maybe uncomfortable with Donald Trump as, as a man uh, would, would switch over to, to Ron DeSantis. And then with that momentum, he would be able to, to show that he was the viable alternative, especially given Trump's many different uh, problems when it came to legal issues, that kind of thing. However, you, you expect him to hang in a little bit longer because now we're in a scenario which, you know, if for some reason Trump cannot run, obviously, you know, Ron, Ron DeSantis is not in the mix uh, in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I guess a lot of people would see it that way. And so, yeah, you expected him to carry this a couple more states in before making that decision. But I think you're right that after kind of looking at that performance and then looking at the possibility of the next couple of states going forward, it became clear that there just was a very, un, it would be very unlikely. And to his credit, he did not drag this out. He, he could have done that. I think that could have been, uh, could have damaged his political reputation a lot more. Uh, and so he steps away at this moment, still has the chance to, I think, recuperate, uh, kind of salvage that reputation, uh, make good on his governorship and, and still put himself in, in, a, in a strong place a place much better than if he had continued to kind of kick and drag his way through multiple primaries he wasn't going to be victorious in and kind of bleed everything dry up to that point. Yeah, I mean, the last time we had really had seen sort of these like last standing Republican nominate, you know, people running for the nomination that were going to win. I remember John McCain and um, uh, Governor, you know, Huckabee back in 2008. That's some that's some some ancient history, politically speaking. But I mean, it's important to sort of consider. We're that. wise old men here. So. We're, well, well, some of us are. But <laughs> it does illustrate, uh, I think, sort of that it is good that he didn't do that. I I don't agree with Charlie Kirk almost ever, but I have to agree with Charlie Kirk when he said that you know hopefully DeSantis will like raise 120 million dollars to help rejuvenate sort of the Trump campaign treasury and to pursue some kind of victory in 2024. I think that that's a very good call on his end. Uh, no, but it was, I, I, again, it's why there was so many like Ted Cruz staffers that were there with working in this area in Iowa in 2016, because anyone who was looking for a viable alternative or even trying to show that the Republican voter base might entertain an alternative was to have some kind of 2016 style Iowa caucuses result. Because when you looked at the uh, split in 2016 for Iowa, it was mainly split the three places were Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, and Marco Rubio. And the split was like 27%, 24%, and like 22% between the three of them with, with Cruz in the win. And because it was such a heavily divided you know, voter base picking different options for where to go, that looked like your way forward. And since there was no alternative besides Trump having a 30-point, he got over 51% as we talked about the other week, and now, you know, the other two were struggling to maintain 21, 22 percent. Uh, there was no viable path forward. Uh, and yeah. as and Nikki Haley, unfortunately, is correct that this is a two person race that is between her and really the entire Republican establishment and the Democrats as well versus Trump in this instance. I mean, there's been some weird things in the backdrop of this, like, you know, JP or is it JP Morgan or is it... Um, or whoever, yeah, yeah Morgan, with Jamie yeah. Diamond saying that, yeah. you know, Trump, Trump might have been crass, but mean tweet society was right. And that yeah. sort of gives me a very strange sense of where things might go in this election. But DeSantis, you know, even when you and I had first met in person, one of the things that you had told me that like DeSantis has a high chance of ruining his political credibility by running against the heir apparent Donald Trump. And I mean, we've been lucky that Trump didn't debate 
on any of these Republican primary stages because, you know, Ron Sanctimonious and Lord knows what other kind of insults would have been thrown his way. And he would have sort of autistically stumbled through that and managed that, which would have made it worse. But it's over. And and now he had given a rather lackluster endorsement of Trump, but he was very much correct in saying that, you know, whatever happens next, the, the pathway of Nikki Haley should never be the option. And uh, that was the one good thing that he really said outside of getting community noted on Twitter for an alleged fake Winston Churchill quote. <laughs> Well, I, so I, I think I think uh, it, it is. And by the way, the, the only thing I miss about Trump not being in the debates is the Nikki Haley uh, Trump interaction. Like, what would that have looked like? I don't it could, could have been a moment. Maybe we'll get one. I pray that it, we do. it's true. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think there was a to be fair, a couple of good things that he said. He rightly called Trump out when it came to his behavior during the pandemic. I think that there was a failure of leadership Trump uh, by Trump there. Uh, obviously, you know, Operation Warp Speed and, and its consequences uh, are, are huge. And I think it's uh, I think it's right for people to hold him accountable and understand that there is a there is a degree of, you know, you're in that moment and it's never happened before. And th those choices are in many ways happening around you and being made for you. But that's your part of your job as the executive is to step in and make that uh, you know, to stop that kind of thing and make that that critical uh, change in the moment. And he did not do that. So I think it's entirely fair for him to call him out on that. And like you said, he he stepped out and said, you know, wh whatever happens, no matter what my agreements, disagreements might be with Donald Trump, we can't go back to Nikki Haley. We can't go back to the corporate GOP. We can't go back to those things. And this is why I said from the beginning, a lot of people, a lot of Trump supporters said, oh, DeSantis is controlled opposition. He's entirely a piece of the system. He's entirely, uh, you know, in an insider. And I said, no, that that's not the case. Like, I get it. I understand why you would think that. But I do think that DeSantis genuinely is coming uh, at the system in his own way. And while it might not be as successful as other certain strategies, it's it's still legitimate. And I think that him showing his, his ability to step out and and say, I still I'm going to endorse Trump. I'm going to decry uh, Haley, even though uh, you know that that would be you know, siding with with the establishment would would be the safe move there. I think that that does show that he was somebody who was who's trying to run his own outsider campaign to a certain degree, even if it was it, it was less successful. Well, absolutely. I don't think that DeSantis was running some kind of uh, you know I'm going to burn MAGA down, even though some of his supporters on Twitter might say that they're willing to do so. Right. Uh, no, I mean like in that, and DeSantis isn't like you know Dean Phillips. He's not this like mugwump style character who's running on this like holier than thou sense of you know battling corruption or whatever. I mean, he does have a proven track record as an executive, and you of all people would know, being a a Floridian, that you know from his skin of his teeth election victory in 2018 to recreating the state political machine and creating a sizable electoral victory to co in coalition in 2022 for his re-election, that's nothing to balk at. And he's absolutely right to call Trump out on those things. The question now becomes, what can he do to you know, maintain a, you know, sort of this unity behind Trump in, in terms of the GOP electorate and making sure that Nikki Haley doesn't get it? Because again, I, I think there will be a lot of DeSantis staffers and campaigners and donors that either go back to Trump or seeing, you know, Trump as the worst of all alternatives, like we saw with 2016 and sort of the national review types, that they'll throw their lot behind Nikki Haley. 
And I mean, I, I've said this before and other um, commentators have as well, but I mean, you saw those debates, especially the first few debates where it was a very packed stage. And it was basically the, what the Republican Party looked like in 2012, you know, talking about taxes, talking about spending, talking about education, talking about things that have no real relation to the paradigm that we're currently in, all while dressed like Donald Trump, all while trying to act like Donald Trump without anything that Donald Trump talked about, which was, you know, bringing the economy back to the United States, closing the border and actually making sure that America gets a relatively fair deal for its position on the world stage. And so, you know, DeSantis dropping out, I, ho I hope that at least people can use his political machine or energy towards a more uh, fruitful endeavor. And we'll see how it affects, uh, you know, New Hampshire. Um, is, th is that today or tomorrow? I, I, I need to check. I think it's uh, Tuesday, but still does illustrate where we're at and good on DeSantis for, I think, doing the right thing because dragging it out would have only hurt him and any sort of political future he has. I know Florida's got that weird bit in the Constitution where there's no term limits, but you can't serve more than two terms in a row. So we'll see what happens for his future. Yeah, I want to go ahead and take this back to the beginning because I think a lot of people are going to look at this campaign and they're going to say, what happened here, right? Like this is a guy who had a lot of momentum. He had a lot of buzz around him. He was America's governor. Uh, making big changes, uh, you know, that there was a lot of support for him in general in the party. And th there's going to be a postmortem that looks at this this campaign and says, you know, I've already seen some people on Twitter say, oh, this is, you know, that people will be studying this campaign for years to kind of figure out what went wrong. But I, I don't think it's really that complicated. So I remember, because I was a, God forgive me, you know, it's going through the 12 steps. I was a, I was a journalist at the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Everyone's right. What does it make you now? Huh? What does it make you now? Reformed journalist. Uh, you know, <laughs> looking to settle down, you know, uh, but anyway, no, it's, I'm, <laughs> uh, I was, I was a journalist at the time. And, you know, uh, during that race against Andrew Gillum, DeSantis is, uh, is losing, right? Is he's, 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 it's not looking good for him. And Trump comes in and he does one of his rallies and he's coming through the state and I cover it because he comes through my area. And, uh, you know, I go there and I'm interviewing everybody and the energy is just insane. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this. I've been working in some capacity in politics for a very long time, like, you know, 17 years at, at this point in, in, in one way, shape or form. And I had never seen that level of energy when someone's supposed to be coming into the room. I mean, it felt like a football game on, you know, but like hyped up even more. Everyone's there are people in costumes and, and body paint and they're, you know, they're, they're wrapped around uh, lines around a stadium full of people. You can't, you have to park, you know, uh, 20 minutes away and walk the entire time just to get there uh, with it, with the journalist badge and everything with it, with the press badge. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just insane. A level of energy. I remember standing in that press pit i'm right next to the cnn guys and the whole place is just booing us just chanting you know media sucks media sucks screaming at rightfully so you know we had earned their ire 100 percent. and you know you sit in that room and desantis comes in and again you know candidate not a lot of people there are super excited about at that time but trump is you know on stage and he's you know Look at this guy, DeSantis, great guy, amazing guy, blah, blah, blah. 
crowds roaring, screaming, blowing up. Now I know, you know, somewhere DeSantis supporters are going to be like, ah, that's not why he won. I'm pretty sure that's why. He won. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that those, those kind of final, that final push with Trump certainly helped moving, moving over the edge. And, and in doing so, you know, Florida really dodged a bullet because obviously Andrew Gillum ended up with a gay prostitute and, and, and doing doing drugs. Uh, that so there was that. Uh, but on top of that, obviously DeSantis, uh, despite not being a great campaigner, obviously at that time it was very clear he was not the best campaigner. He's not the most charismatic. He's guy. one heck of an executive. But when he got into office, this guy was amazing. Right? He he was he was knocking it down. And, and of course, in this moment, and this is where DeSantis supporters support him most, and they're right to do so, in the moment where Trump was failing, right? Trump is falling behind. Trump is not taking correct action. DeSantis is stepping up, right? He's stepping up and he's protecting the state against uh, these different federal mandates, against these different requirements during COVID. He's opening the schools. He's getting rid of mask mandates. He's blocking vaccine mandates. He's working with the legislature to get all this stuff done. He's refusing to go along with the hysteria, right? So the quality of life that I had as a Floridian during the pandemic was just wildly different. Like I was talking to people in New York and in California, and I was just living an entirely different life. It was like they were living in North Korea and I was living in South Korea. It was that stark of a contrast between the way that things were happening. And so, you know, after that, he doesn't just step into this uh, this COVID moment, but he also steps into the culture war. And in a way that, you know, Republicans have been told they can't get involved, you can't fight big businesses, you can't fight, uh, you know, uh, on these cultural issues, you just cut taxes and shut up about everything else. And instead, he steps into that breach and he's, you know, banning, uh, you know, the, the indoctrination of, of kids in third grade. Uh, you know, while everyone else is talking about how this is the, you know, this is the return of some kind of McCarthyism or something. He doesn't care. He and he and he starts developing this ability to kind of speak to the press. He's starting to get the Trump mannerisms down. He's starting to tear down reporters and things. He's building a skill set. Right. So this is an up and comer. Everyone's excited about him. Everybody loves him in the party. And then, you know, you get the rumblings that he's going to run for president. And I said it and like everybody else who cared was just like, don't do this, man. Just don't do it. Tell whoever is whispering in your ear to shut up. Okay. Like you are the heir apparent. You are a force of nature. You are showing GOP governors how to build a power base outside of Washington, reform the entire state you know just you know, there's a massive shift of people coming into the state who want to live there just because you're the governor and you are reshaping the political future of florida it goes from being a purple state you know that is trending blue to a bright red state where he's like winning re-election in miami dade miami dade is going red okay that is the amount that is like the the amount of momentum he had built but somebody tells him just run for president and it's it just from there, you know, I, I was on, uh, you know, the great Tom Woods show when he announced and, and he's like, what do you think it was, was going to happen here? It's like, he's going to run into a buzzsaw. Like he's going to run into Trump and Trump's going to chipper this guy. Like, like he's amazing. But the things that make you a good executive are not the same things that make you 
a good national political candidate. And yeah, that's one of the problems with democracy, but it's also just true. And I think a lot of people who they they were sitting in the middle, right? They they didn't go completely never Trump. They didn't do this Bill Crystal, you know, against Trump. I'm jumping to the Democratic Party neocon thing. But they also were clearly very un uh, uncomfortable with Trump. They never really liked it. They got behind him because he wasn't a Democrat at the you know on on the ticket. But they never liked him, and they saw DeSantis as the way forward. Okay, this is Trumpism without Trump, like you said. And by by embracing this guy, he's the competent one. He's the one that the the press is going to go easier on because he's not as crazy. And so you know he's going to be able to step in and and take this. What do you think was that miscalculation? Because I think a lot of people were very confident that you just take the most competent guy and you jam him in there because that's how politics works. Like a lot of very high level professionals were making this case. I knew it was wrong. I thought it was very clear that it was wrong. What did they miss? I think a lot of it has to just do with the charisma and media capability. I mean, it does not matter that Trump is not a competent, and this is something that, heaven forbid, even Richard Hanania got right, was (laughs) that, you know, it does not matter what kind of executive you are, how do you respond to the press? Donald Trump, at least in an archetype, is a flaming orange middle finger to the American establishment, the American media, and sort of what, you know, we would call the deep state or just Washington as is every day. And that's a very powerful sort of, you know, kind of psychological attitude to just buy into. And so like, okay, great. We, we, we threw a bull in the China shop, but can that bull in the China shop run the China shop better? And that was the question that a lot of people were asking after 2020 and everything that had taken place there. And so DeSantis looks like the great guy to do that, like a competent political machine, a heck of an executive building a way to like eliminate corruption in some of the bluest counties in the state of Florida. And then he opens his mouth. And I think like that's the big problem. I mean, there are clip after clip after clip of him with awkward body language, unable to really put out a smile on on the debate stage. I mean, there was the whole bad lip reading about his time in Iowa. And when I hear the bad lip reading of him, and I find that to be more relatable than when DeSantis is trying to be relatable to, you know, families and kids and mothers and fathers, it really illustrates a big problem with, with your messaging and your ability to do so. Now, historically speaking, when it comes to these sort of challenges in the primaries, that does not mean that your career is over. I mean, Ronald Reagan had famously, you know, fought it out over Gerald Ford in 1976. I mean, we had thought that Richard Nixon was done for good right. after failing, you know, in, for to be the governor of California after losing 1960 election and would come back in 1968, not only be the president, but then win one of the largest reelections in 1972 shortly thereafter. And so I don't think his career is done, but I do think that some of the biggest things that to take away from this po- postmortem is going to be who your campaign online spokespeople are. If I'm turned off by your campaign, by your um, avatars and your proxies alone, that's a huge issue. You have to have some sort of human relatability. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of like acting coach, you know, Curtis Garvin has over the years, but maybe hire that guy, make you look a little more livable. Uh, you know, I understand the whole sort of like autistic, literally me thing. Like, unless you're going to lean into that, like learn how to be a better performer. Because uh, if not, you're you're going to look as robotic and cringy as you did on the stage. And then finally, you need to have some conviction. And I don't mean that he doesn't have convictions or he doesn't have deeply held beliefs, but there was no fire in him on the debate stage or what he says. I mean, even his announcement to suspend his campaign 
endorse Trump and criticize Trump was very, you know, monotone, very, yeah. very boring. And that's my problem. This is that on this is the money ball problem. On paper, this guy looks amazing. And then he steps up to the plate. This is going to be a really important lesson for him in the future. And I don't think he I think if he manages to bury the hatchet with Trump and whatever of that sort of voter base that exists out there for him, which is like 75 plus million Americans, DeSantis will be in a good position in the future. And depending on if Trump decides to be dictator for a day or win the 2024 election, Lord only knows, there's a bright spot in DeSantis's future. It's just that everyone who's doing these postmortem should realize this is a competent executive who can be pushed probably further to the right than he already is. And knows how to get things done to, you know, curtail bureaucracy, fight business, and to ensure that your political machine wins elections in highly contested purple or blue areas outright. So, I mean, at the end of the day, DeSantis is in a very strong position, I think, going forward. And we're all kind of glad, as you had said, he didn't drag this out and further yeah. sully his uh, his political future by by hanging in until the convention. Yeah, it's very weird. So a couple things I want to address there. First, you said the online proxies, right? And I'm with you that many DeSantis proxies were just, I don't know who thought this was a good idea. <laughs> it was it was insane. Like, don't get me wrong. There are very annoying Trump proxies on, on Twitter. Like, like, like the existence of Laura Loomer still blows my mind. Uh, but like, they're, they're very, very, very annoying people. So I'm not saying, oh, this is just a DeSantis thing. But there was, it did seem like a concerted effort. It seemed like a part of their plan to get like really hostile on Twitter. And they thought that that was going to be the thing, you know, anytime you question, like even when I would go out and say, Ron DeSantis has done all of these amazing things and I respect him and I think he's got a great future and blah, blah, blah. You still would just have endless number of people, you know, running or bots or whatever they were running into your mentions and just complaining endlessly. Now, I don't know how much that actually impacts the 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 primaries because honestly that feels very online you know like we're both very online you know i get it like we're gonna see a lot more of that than the average person is so does that really impact his electability i don't know maybe it does maybe it doesn't certainly doesn't help him it certainly wasn't a winning formula to win over pundits that disagreed or you know influential media voices that could have been on his side uh, whoever at the very least, they failed in that very, very obviously. But I don't know if it impacts the larger electorate. I, I don't I don't think it does. But I think you're right that this is still somebody who is very capable. He's still in Florida until 2026. He still has an opportunity to step up and, and, and show the pe people why they loved him in the first place and avoid any serious damage. And the fact that he stepped out when he did kept him from dragging all this through the mud. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure. Keep that money train rolling, keep paying all these, you know, consultants and things, you know, keep doing that kind of thing. But I think he stepped out at a wise time, which, which keeps his career uh, viable and allows him to, to kind of uh, pick up that mantle yet again, as America's governor. And I want to step, I want to talk about that a little more in a second. Cause I also want to, talk about what's happening with Greg Abbott and, and, and you know, the, the possibility that these two could join forces, uh, you know, hopefully, but, uh, but uh, one thing that I think was very interesting, one dynamic was that a lot of the people who are pro DeSantis kept saying, ignore the polls, right? Which seems entirely reasonable, right? We saw the way the polls were manipulated when it came to Trump's run 
uh, both in 2016 and 2020. We see how far off the polls were uh, dramatically. And so it was something that always rang true to me with the, they would say is like, well, you didn't trust the polls when they were with Trump. You are trusting the polls now when they're showing Trump beating DeSantis. Aren't you just, you know, kind of flipping there? But it seems actually that they were collect uh, more correctly kind of uh, viewing this election. What do you think was the difference in this scenario where they, they were less accurate in, in Trump's election, but they were more accurate with this primary reflecting the, the nature of this primary? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there is sort of a incumbency advantage uh, and just to put it i mean it's 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 donald trump who was president for four years was aiming for another term you know he's trying to pull off something that has only happened once in american history of of running and you know and having two terms non-consecutively and at the same time there is as we saw time and time again after every indictment after every major kerfuffle in court donald trump's poll numbers just shot up because it shows to you know ordinary people and the voters and Heaven forbid that I'm going to, you know, consider democracy a little more seriously than I usually do. But the people seem to see the transparency of, well, the whole system is against him. How can I expect this to be anything but a witch hunt, as Trump had said during all of the years in his time in office, as well as on the campaign trail? Uh, I think DeSantis just not staying in for very long. You know, I, I think it was very clear in the conversations he probably had with his campaign staff that we could keep this going, but at what cost to a political future as well as what cost to any future voters that we might want to court in, in 2028 or even in our home state of Florida, because mm -hmm. nothing was more embarrassing in 2016 than for Marco Rubio to stay on as long as he did and to get absolutely blown out of the water in his home state of Florida. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I liked Marco Rubio back then. I, he wasn't my guy, but I can respect what he was doing and the angle he was aiming for as a more sort of non-neoconservative kind of realist foreign policy guy. But, you know, after that, you don't want to you don't have a future after your own state rejects you and you're the state senator. Yeah, that, so that's I, a really I, good point about getting out before you get blown out in your own state. That, that's yeah. very wise. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a big deal, I think, with this case. Also, I think that <laughs> a lot of people have learned maybe uh, not to underestimate, you know, how people feel about Trump. I mean, a lot, and again, this goes back to what we said about Iowa, too, is this that the media doesn't talk about Trump. Yeah, he does. He has a few campaign appearances on television. Um, but outside of sort of the Trump centered media sphere, the greater mainstream doesn't talk about him outside of the uh, cases that are built against him. What does Biden say about him, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the attention has been focused on the other candidates. And now that there is really just a two person race between, you know, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, I think that DeSantis saw the writing on the wall and saying, listen, one guy is seemingly the heir apparent. And the only other people that are going against him are people that even I don't like. So right. why paint myself in the same corner as Nikki Haley and the neocons and uh ruin my future so i you know again i think that he has he has some he's he's got political instincts he's got chops he may not have the charisma but he knows what he's doing yeah it, it was interesting yeah i tried to explain this to people so often and you know because a lot of the things i've heard from again DeSantis uh supporters were oh well it was the indictments it's the indictments that that you know elevated trump you know the poll numbers were close and then the indictments helped him pull pull away and if they hadn't done that they're basically the media has chosen this this candidate for themselves that kind of thing and i think 
that this is an easy way to kind of sell yourself on on the idea that like well there there wasn't really a love for trump here right and it's it's only this dynamic of of the indictment that that changed that but i don't think that these again if you're looking at the system i and i always said this from the beginning if you think the system needs to be destroyed trump's your guy and if you think that the system needs to be reformed, DeSantis is your guy. And I'll get a lot of people, oh, you think Trump's going to destroy the system? Look at how you know much he, he ended up bending the knee. Look at it. It's like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, the energy behind Trump, the support behind Trump, the things you need to read behind the surface level, you know, you know, just what's on paper, all that energy is destroy the system. In. And all the energy behind the you know, Ron DeSantis was reform the system energy. And I get that DeSantis was more capable and, you know, maybe, maybe that is the key, but I really doubt it. Like I look, looking at the situation, I think that what people didn't understand was that Trump really tapped into something about American identity that activated the voter base in a way that just had not existed for so long. People who were just dying of thirst got a drop of water. And even though Trump didn't really convert that successfully, and I think that you know, the, that the voter base deserves somebody better than Trump. Still, that that's just the guy that they're locked into. And you couldn't explain this political dynamic to a lot of people. They just got stuck into like, but the ones and the zeros, I've got spreadsheets that show me DeSantis is the guy. And it's like, it doesn't matter if he's the guy or not, he's going to lose. And you have to, under, like, you need to have the, the level of political, like you want to play in a world where democracy chooses the best candidate or the most capable candidate, but that's not where you are. And so if you're in the if you're a professional political consultant or pundit or whatever, you should have a more realistic understanding of the situation you're in. And you can't seem to, re, you know, kind of read this situation. That's a real problem. And you're going to have to be able to do it if you want to be able to figure this out going forward. I don't know if those lessons are learned. I don't know if these people are just going to double down and go back to screaming never Trump or, or not. But it's a dynamic that you need to understand if you want to know what moment you're in. And it seems like some people just refuse to do it. Well, like I said, it's that money ball situation. Like yeah. I, I understand on paper, he is the guy, right? I, you want a competent team. You want people to gut the state, you know, make sure that you can run the ship right and, you know, have morning in America again. But I think you said it perfectly. And this undercuts the divide between what you would call liberals who tend to be conservative and people who have woken up and, and, and have smelled the coffee roast that is burning on that pot that you left on overnight, which is, I don't know if you can reform the ship. And that's that's the big thing. Do you do you have Trump in there as the middle finger again? Is he going to have the Project 2025 guys? Is he going to be dictator for a day? No, but the fact that people are latching on to that or even agreeing with his positions on immigration, where he is allegedly quoting someone from uh, the 1930s and 40s on that issue, and the Republican base agrees with him on like an 85 to 15 percent margin. You know, there's there's a crown in the mud that someone could pick up. And for a lot of the American voters, which is sometimes an insult, sometimes a good thing, uh, they, you know, they want him to pick up that crown or at least someone in his administration to pick up that crown. And that's why I think when we look at elections and we look at these campaigns, you should always be looking at the people who are um, going to be working on the sides. You know, the, the one good thing I've noticed is that, you know, he doesn't have, uh, you know, Kushner 
uh, around him. He doesn't have uh, Bill Stipian, the guy that was his campaign manager in 2020. I haven't seen him really lean into the the platinum plan or any sort of the the pandering that he has done in the past in 2020. I mean, yeah, he does talk about the unemployment rate or talk about those things, but again, you know, he he is running as the opposition candidate. I mean, he is the alternative to Joe Biden. He was the alternative to Joe Biden in the establishment in 2020. And now things are far worse than they were in 2020, even in the midst of the COVID crisis. So uh, I think Trump, at least to some extent, has an idea of what time it is in terms of his campaign, even if he doesn't give off that vibe. But uh, the actions of his of his staff and so on give me the indication that he is. And so DeSantis dropping out, I think he did the right thing early. And as we said, you know, he's he's got lessons to learn. And I think he will learn those lessons because if I were Ron and I look at my performance and I look at the video footage and I have like an after action report, I would be like cringing and trying to turn into like, you know, this tiny little like shell under a rock or whatever. Cause I, I'd be pretty embarrassed myself if I went on the air and I was as like, uh, you know, incapable of charisma or a smile like he was, but I do have hope for him in, in, in the future. And I hope that, and I've said this before and others too, is that Ron DeSantis, when he acts as the governor of Florida, other Republicans take notice, yes. whether it's Governor Stitt in Oklahoma or my governor, Greg Abbott in Texas. They look at what he's doing and they go for it. I mean, he was the one who did the whole Martha's Vineyard thing. Greg Abbott and the others started following shortly thereafter. I mean, that has its own issues. But when DeSantis does something, the other Republican governors act. And if he wants to turn the you know state of Florida into like, you know, renewing the Knights of the Golden Circle or something, I'm all for it. But know your place, I guess, in that instance. And your best place of being effective is in the castle you've already built, which is the state of Florida. Yeah, that was the thing is, you know, I, I said this because I, I predicted it, you know, uh, uh, a while back. I was like, a lot of people are going to come out and they're going to look at these results and they're just going to lecture the voters. They're going to say, oh, the voters have failed me, right? It's, instead of looking at their priors, instead of thinking to themselves, what did I not understand? about the dynamics at play is just like, well, the voters failed me. And don't get me wrong. Again, I'm, I'm not the, the biggest, you know, democracy enjoyer. So I get it. Like, I understand why, you know, you, you want to kind of say that, but that's it. You know who these people are. It's your job to predict and understand what's going on. You have to look at the reality on the ground. You have to look at the dynamics of your candidate. You have to look at just basically the historical moment you're in and understand that you are running into something that is just going to is going to wreck you. But like you said, I think to DeSantis's credit, he gets out in time to kind of save his uh, his stature in the ra in the party. He has the ability to, to go back to Florida, make some some impressive moves and kind of rebuild that credibility and perhaps learn to transition his public persona, his ability to kind of kind of act on the campaign trail or learns that maybe he's the best best to be behind the guy. You know, maybe maybe he that's the lesson he learns. But be, either way, I think it is important that he stepped out at the, the time he did. And more importantly, far more importantly, the most important thing he said, never Nikki Haley. Right. And 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 that is incredibly important. I'm so glad that he said that we need to get rid of the Nikki Haley wing of the party. We don't need to be running around uh, pushing kind of this corporate uh, GOP anymore. And uh, as if to immediately prove Ron DeSantis right, Nikki Haley decided to say this 
on uh, NBC. We were the only Indian family in our small Southern town. I was teased every day for being brown. So anyone that wants to question it can go back and look at what I've said on how hard it was to grow up in the deep South as a brown girl. So Nikki Haley is, uh, for, for those who, have, who might have forgotten, Nikki Haley is uh, about to be in a primary in South Carolina, her home state, the state she's talking about right there, right? She, she's responding to uh, the, uh, they question her inability to say that slavery was part of this, the Civil War, or whatever, her forgetting to say it was the primary cause of the Civil War. And she's defending herself by saying, of course, I know what racism is. I grew up in the deep South and she's just indistinguishable from the left, right? She's just the DEI conservatism, Nikki Haley, you know, we need a woman to run this thing. I, my, my high heels reload my guns or whatever she was saying. And then, you know, by the way, I, I know I'm running in a primary in my home state in a couple of weeks, but I want you guys to know that I agree with you, the liberal media on how incredibly racist my home state is. And that's the most important thing you should know before I go ask for the vote of the people who made me governor. Just, just an amazing reminder of what the GOP is the vast majority of the time. To be honest, we're, we're just spoiled between DeSantis and Trump because this is, this is what we've been fed for decades. Yeah, when my when my uh, when I'm in a hating white people challenge and my opponent is Nikki Haley, I mean that's that's, that's a hard competition. And it just, I, I mean, it, honestly though, it, it raises the question: like, who? What is that statement for? Other than for me to just call you like call center Hillary? Because you are at this point, like you're talking about racial issues in the Deep South. You got rid of the Confederate flag and the original state's flag that was there while you were governor. You had done really. I mean, you were given sort of one of the. I can't say it's a useless job because historically it's been helpful in regards to like the Cuban Missile Crisis, but you were the ambassador to the UN. You're the embodiment of sort of the neoconservative political ideology. So it's just like, why? Other than to know that there is a deeply moneyed interest in America that hates the American voter, hates the people that Nikki Haley had once represented, and wishes to represent the entirety of the country. So what what what, what good point am I... Uh, doing here. I mean, even it was funny when someone was like, well, good thing no one cares what Senator Rand Paul thinks when he did the whole Never Nikki website. But uh, I'm sorry to say, I, I like Rand Paul a lot. He was my guy in 2016. I have no problem admitting it. But at the end of the day, right, like uh, no one should be on board for a woman that is basically just the slightly um, diverse version of Hillary Clinton. No one should want that. No one in their right mind should want that outside of like Bill Crystal and some very wealthy people that already hated Donald Trump and hated people like you and me to begin with. Yeah, Fisher King here had a, had a great tweet. I thought he said, Nikki Haley embodies the bankruptcy of the spoil system we've put in place in this multicultural society. She changed her name and religion and speaks with a Southern accent to fit in, but she employs her ethnic heritage st uh, strategically when it suits her wants it both ways and that's it right that this is the gop in the nutshell we need to find candidates that tick every one of these you know boxes so they can be impervious to uh the standards and, and the, the 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 slings of the left but of course the minute that they get themselves into any kind of problem all of a sudden all of that, those trappings those conservative trappings fall away and actually it turns out that this person was really in their heart of hearts a minority a beleaguered minority after all appealing to the racism narrative of the left.
Yeah, and I mean, this is this is the big deal that you've talked about with the neocon cycle or really just how things move leftward. If you have any remotely conservative instinct, please do not pursue the approval of people that hate your guts. And as Michael Malice says, once you dead, but we'll settle for your submission. Yep. It's not worth it. It's not going to be worth it. And this just illustrates at the end of the day, like why does Trump have the, the power that he does over the American people, especially towards his electorate? It's simple. It's just that he actually speaks to their interest. And I know that that gets to be a very touchy subject as we've talked about things with the Washington Post, like multiracial whiteness, where people vote for Trump because he speaks to jobs and immigration. But when even people in the Rio Grande Valley who historically voted Democrat all their life swung in the opposite direction for Donald Trump on the issues of the economy, making sure that things were good at home and to reduce immigration, all of a sudden you realize that, uh, yeah, maybe that multiracial whiteness might be the winning strategy for the GOP rather than constantly pandering to people that never vote for you. Time yeah. and time again, this is the case with Republicans. Desperate. I mean, this was a big part of Trump's failing, too, with the, the platinum plan or trying to sell Operation Warp Speed as some sort of success. That's not why the people voted for you in 2016. That's not why you trounced over 15 other Republicans who are seasoned political operators uh, in that election cycle. You won because you spoke to the issues that for the longest time, Americans never got to hear on the stage, whether it was about immigration, whether it was about the fact that the demographics of the country are changing, or that you have an entire bureaucracy that is explicitly designed to make Americans' life worse. And so, yeah, Trump is is going to be the guy that speaks to that. I mean, is he going to do it effectively? I mean, you can definitely say that his first term had a lot of problems, but he is sort of that American id, you know, he, he, he is there just speaking and acting on that impulse. And he's got pretty good instincts. Let's not kid ourselves. And uh, if they do have a debate, you know, I, I, I sincerely hope that that's what he does is that he just calls, well, he called her Nimbra, but I mean, uh, I hope that, you know, Nimrata Haley, who had changed her name, changed her religion, allegedly cheated on her husband more than once in the backdrop of all this, uh, you know, gets called out as the Hillary Clinton of the Republican Party, because that's exactly what she is. And uh, Trump is right to focus on the issues of immigration and of trade, because um, I don't know if you saw the news, but in the whole midst of uh, all these battles over the southern border and Texas trying to rebel, uh, the Supreme Court sided with Biden saying that, you know, Customs and Border Patrol can cut the razor wire and let the immigrants in, facilitating, as even DeSantis called it, his uh, concession speech, the invasion of the United States. Absolutely. It's amazing. You know, my entire life, my entire life, the GOP for decades has been trying to win in the United States, has been trying to become, or, you know, are they even trying is, is another question. But in theory, they've been trying to win by acquiring a voter base that would make the New York Times happy, right? <laughs> Just so they could be praised about their multiculturalism and about their focus on diversity. And that is just lost and lost and lost and lost and lost. And then watching someone say, no, we're just Americans and we just love America. And if you end up here and you end up, you know, being part of America, then you're incredibly lucky and we're happy to have you. But we're not doing we're not doing this thing where we're pandering to every constituency. That was the way forward. And yeah, we just hopefully Trump learns that lesson and doesn't go back to this. You know, every every GOP politician or, or pundit or you know advisor seems to think that they're going to be the one guy who's like we'll outflank the left by winning over one of these minorities and it hasn't worked yet and yet they're you know or at least not with the attitude of pandering to them and that that's really the key there but i want to get to what you were just mentioning with the battle between texas and the federal government because of course this is something that 
DeSantis was pushing, right? He was pushing the envelope on this. He was the one spurring people forward, like you're talking about, Greg Abbott. Uh, you know, inspiring them. A lot of people had their own had their problems with him, them busing immigrants north. Uh, I don't understand why people think that like the geographical location is the problem, but whatever. The point is that whether you like that strategy or not, obviously it has spurred further interest in defying the federal government and taking individual state level action on the immigration question. And this is what we need because this is what's actually going to solve this problem. Like, I really hope that like Trump wins and, you know, these guys take over Washington and they reform the bureaucracy and significant changes are done and, and the border is secured. But the, the truth is that's probably not going to happen, whether you got DeSantis or Trump in. And the, the problem is going to continue to persist through multiple administrations. The only way this gets solved is if the governors of the actual states involved put armed people on the border and turn people around. And it looks like Texas is actually taking steps to do that with Eagle Pass. So what what's going on with Greg Abbott? Is this real action? Is this something that could be expanded? What's going on? Uh, so Governor Greg Abbott, of course, is this is more focusing on, on Eagle Pass, but uh, he has basically said that he's doing everything that he can at the border with the exception uh, of, of shooting people. So I, in which of course that remark got some, some flack because if you're an extreme person on the immigration, you're like, Oh, so you're not doing enough. And then the rest are just like, well, that sounds pretty militant and anti-humane and everything like that. But um, Texas governor, Greg Abbott has been trying to transform, you know, the state policy to say there was a law passed in December, which goes into effect into March, but he has already mobilized the Texas state guard so the, the state's military um, institution, not just the National Guard, to keep people away from the border and to keep people, uh, particularly, you know, the Department of Homeland Security from going to the border and from allowing people to do exactly what the Border Patrol under this administration has been doing, which has been facilitating the invasion of millions of people into the United States. And they've reentered, you know, they've already done catch and release again. There are some people who don't have court dates uh, in the United States uh, for immigration court until 2031. So long after uh, Biden would be out of office if he won another term. And this is uh, a big issue on, on this respect. So, you know, at least Biden is trying to deter the federal government from doing so. He has not, I don't think, put out a statement as far as I know yet in the midst of the Supreme Court news. But uh, this is exactly what he's been doing with riot shields, pushing people away, putting fencing up, trying to keep the federal government away uh, from this, uh, from the border. And, you know, now that the Supreme Court has made its decision, Governor Greg Abbott has a choice. He can tell the feds to pound sand or he can comply with the law. And I hope that he wheels up to the occasion and does exactly what is necessary and tell the federal government no. Uh, I mean, Secretary Mayorkas used to be on the board of one of the largest immigrant, you know, affiliate groups in the world for humanitarian issues and immigration, which has helped spend millions of dollars to bring people into this country. So Greg Abbott is doing, I think, the right thing and go out of the way to ensure that people who are coming from all over the world, it's not just Mexico, it's not just Central and South America, Africa, China, people from the Middle East, uh, they shouldn't be here to begin with. And Greg Abbott is at least putting up the fight that is necessary to say, no, we're not going to do this. And we're not going to ensure that the Biden administration does not have access to this two and a half mile stretch of the Rio Grande. 
where the razor wire has been erected. And this is the challenge that the Supreme Court said on a five to four basis with um, the you know, you know Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, and Amy Coney Barrett uh, vote siding with the liberals and, and doing so. So um, the city-owned park in Eagle Pass, which had used eminent domain to be seized, uh, again, it all, all depends now on what Greg Abbott does. Does he tell the, the federal government to enforce their law and to enforce this ruling, or is he just going to comply? And I certainly hope that he resists as much as he can, because all that that court did was just say that treason's acceptable. Yeah, it's, you you have to have leaders who are willing to stand up and do what's right and protect the country from an invasion. That's all there is to it. These are these are real hours. You know, like you said, these are these are real crown in the gutter hours, and uh, and a desperate nation is simply looking for a class of men who can lead and let's hope that greg abbott continues to be one of those let's hope that ron DeSantis returns to florida and resumes his uh his stature as one of those let's hope that these guys spur each other onward to greater uh courage and and inspire other gop governors to do likewise uh we don't have time the the the, the invasion of this country is real uh it's malicious it's being facilitated by people who hate this country. Uh, and we need governors, we need leaders who will act at the state level uh, to stop this. And so, uh, yeah, good. Godspeed, uh, you know, Greg Abbott. And then I hope that you, you only expand this, that the other governors do likewise, and that we see real change in this area. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and move over to the questions of the people. But before we do... Mr. Prudentialist, where do people find your excellent work? Uh, they can find me over on YouTube, Twitter, Telegram. And if they want to know exactly where I'm at, they can find me at findmyfriends.net slash Prudentialist. It has all of my links. I am on all podcast platforms as well as on here. And I'll have a new video out on my YouTube channel tomorrow with our good friend Dimes from the uh, podcast Blood Satellite. We're going to be looking at how social media affects our perception of time and communication as we sort of move into a post-literate society. But I was just looking up where Greg Abbott is, and he hasn't put out a statement yet, because Greg Abbott is currently on an economic mission to India. So uh, that's Oof. a little concerning. Yeah. And, and and here we are. But yes, on to the questions of the people. Yes. All right. So uh, Deuce Boogaloo says, primary answer, uh, primary answer in the regime, is the regime utilized unprecedented power to martyr Trump polls uh, uh, polls were narrow after the DeSantis led Florida 2020 red tsunami versus Trump's incessant 2020 whining and swing endorses endorsee failures until the indictments again yeah a lot you're you're not the only person to make uh to make that point I think it is certainly true that uh, Trump has failed repeatedly with his uh recommendations it's very clear that that that's been a disastrous thing for him could have been true that he was losing enough momentum on that issue however i, I don't think that the regime probably went out of their way to make trump their candidate i know a lot of people believe that they think that that's the conspiracy there i think that trump truly is something that terrifies them not so much trump but what is behind trump uh the the, the sentiment that is behind trump the danger of of kind of uh, what lies behind uh, that support uh, for the regime, I think, is the reason that uh, they, they felt the need and felt compelled kind of purity spiral and attempt to get rid of Trump. Um, you, can, you can assume that that was an orchestration. Uh, I guess you'd be you'd be going with the AA, uh, the, the academic agent 
theory that the the, the elites have far more control over themselves and this is all 40 chess uh, i'm i'm pretty sure that no 40 chess exists in our elite class uh they're just simply not not disciplined enough to do that but i understand where that sentiment comes from Oh, I mean, there was, he does have a lot of issues. I I think that also Republicans were just generally unprepared how to respond to the SCOTUS news when it came to the returning of a pre-Row world where it was back to the states. And also, you know, the Republican Party can talk about candidate quality all at once, but no one wants to vote for people like Dr. Oz. Like when you lose to a man, much like Biden, who had a, has severe mental faculties being compromised and you lose out to that guy, uh, I'm sorry, this is like John Ashcroft losing to a dead guy. This is pathetic. Uh, and yeah, Trump has some bad political instincts, but I think that with, <laughs> and Vivek of all people called it out, like, you know, we, we got trounced in 2022. They don't know how to do voter outreach as effectively as they thought they did. And um, the the unprecedented power to to martyr Trump, sure. But at the end of the day, those indictments and trying to go after him, their hubris to put Trump in jail and to get their mugshots. All that it has done is boost a man that, you know, may have the worst political instincts on earth, but he also knows how to speak to the American people. Yeah, it really is that, that their, their desire to, ex- to accelerate in order to punish Trump is, is really the dynamic there. If you, if you don't see that dynamic, I understand why you, you get confused about the Trump thing, but it really is the, the critical thing to understand there. Uh, so Tismo Prime says, ah, yes, the homies. Yes, the homies are all here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, John Carter says, Tim Scott's wife may become the second lady of the United States, but Tim's, she's certainly <laughs> the first lady. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, no, guys, you don't get it. The deep state wants Trump to win. Uh, then they want to put the woke away and the rock becomes president in 2028 or 20." 28 why doesn't anyone believe me uh yeah that that is a real line of thought that is developing i uh, i don't know i've i've made my case against it uh with now the only thing to do is wait and see and receive my cigar i, I think uh, the, the the woke gets put away when conservatives are successfully contained in that neocon cycle to ensure that you know some other pet issue that isn't a civilizational risk to your survival as a nation or a people is the the mainstay issue but you know uh, the woke can't be put away. Our opposition to it can only be put away. Indeed. Trey Daniels says it's uh, it's Jover for DeSantis. He was so close and yet so far, but he's done. He blew all his political capital in one horrendous campaign. Again, yeah, I, I don't think his political capital is over. I don't think his career is over. Uh, I think that's that's a little too much. I know a lot of people are trying to spike the football in the end zone on this one. I get it. Uh, but Prudentialist and I, agree on this one i think that the desantis got out in time to kind of save his his uh political future and be able to build up a, a portfolio once again it is however very clear that the campaign was not great and uh, there's a lot of people in very serious denial about that and i don't know why uh again it's very confusing to me i guess i guess it, it's important for you to save face i don't know i i guess that's the answer but uh, if, if you're a professional and your job is to correctly predict the future don't jim kramer yourself i don't i don't know i don't know what to tell people i mean jim kramer is still making money so maybe, maybe that is the goal maybe i'm maybe still waiting on bill mitchell to deactivate his twitter account man you know like i loved how he's uh legally his way out of that one but yeah i mean 
Uh, I don't think it's over for DeSantis, but it's going to take a hot minute for some of those political operatives and campaign spokespeople to recover their, their reputation. But hey, you know, some people are happy to try and destroy whatever MAGA means to them or work for RFK Jr. You know, we're, we're going to witness people jump all over the political compass because of this. So time will only tell. True. Uh, Turtle says, I like DeSantis and I'm wary of Trump, but it seems uh, to be uh, bitter thinking, or, but some seem to be bitter uh, thinking DeSantis was the way to avoid the treatment from the regime. Definitely untrue. Yeah, I think that is really important for people to understand. There was this, there's this delusional idea that if DeSantis won, oh, well, then they'll go easier on this guy. The, they'll, they won't pull out the stops. Now, I do think there is something unique about Trump that accelerates things to another level. But yeah, no, they still would have been talking about how DeSantis was, you know, wanting to, well, do things that will, I will not say to keep YouTube from, from flagging anything. But they would have accused DeSantis of all kinds of insane uh, things, especially given his history with the with the uh, protection of children in, in Florida. They would have accused him of all kinds of insane things, saying he was threatening the existence of, of certain groups. And it, it would have been just as insane to try to keep him out of the white house i believe yeah let, let's not forget that they they went out of their way to call john mccain of all people a mid-century german i mean come on let's let's not kid ourselves paladin yyz uh says this should teach desantis a valuable lesson maybe next time he will show more support for israel yeah i i don't know i don't know if it's possible to show more support just yeah, what's the, what's the uh, what's the MTV meme? I got support for Israel. I heard you like support for Israel, so I got you some more support for Israel. Support for Israel. Support. Uh, uh, couldn't tell you. Uh, Paladin YYZ, uh, maybe Prude can attest to this. I wish that GW was a good governor. Uh, would not have uh, would not have been that bad if it lost the run for president and come back home where he belonged. Oh, do you, uh, GW, uh, was a good governor, not Eddie Law. Oh, for George, uh, George W. Bush, I right, guess right. is what you're referring. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'll be honest. I do not know enough about how George W. Bush was the governor of Texas. He was a uh, governor while I was a small child. Sorry to give away my age there. I'm not as old as, uh, some people like to think that I am, but, uh, I couldn't tell you. It would be a fun thing to look at would go back on the history of his record as governor, but considering how things played out in the, in the white house, uh, I don't think I would have wanted No Child Left Behind, but for Texas, or some Medicare Part D, but for Texas. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, Watt here says, DeSantis should have that term limit thing removed while he has the power and declare himself king of Florida and give up on national politics. Yeah, that was always true. There's this weird thing where people are like, well, of course he's got to run for president. He's term limited in Florida. It's like, well, first he just won re-election, so he still had a whole term to to govern. But also... He got the uh, he got the resign to run law dropped in Florida specifically so he could run for president. If he has the ability to do that, he probably could have swung the, the you know some term limit extensions or some you know some alteration there. I think that one is constitutional, but I still got a feeling he had enough political capital to spend it that way. Obviously, his strength is in the governance of Florida. I think that is where he's going to rebuild his power base. I hope he can do that as long as possible. And I hope that other governors learn from his example. Life of Brian says, Pedro Gonzalez, now that the DeSantis campaign is over, has signed a contract for the next season of How My Balls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rough rough for, for Pedro. I've had Pedro on the show uh, several times. Uh, we definitely disagreed over uh, on who was going to win this. Again, 
I, I, I hesitate to even call myself a Trump supporter, guys. Not big on democracy. I don't think Trump's that great a guy. I could I could just see which way things were going no matter what. So there's just no reason to to lie about like what was going to happen. It was, it, it's not about who is even the best, though I think there are there were reasons that there was an advantage to a Trump candidacy. Uh, but but yeah, I I just could not go I could not go along with that. I, I think I think the the wins uh, were obvious for those that were paying attention to them, and uh, I think I think that's kind of how things shook out. I mean, I understand being as someone who's worked political campaigns, I understand taking money and supporting people that may not have the best chance, but you're there to do a job. I, I would just respect people a lot more if they were honest and saying, I'm doing this because I'm getting paid to do it rather than to make it personal and petty and bloody and nasty. But again, that's unfortunately the way a lot of these campaign people type go and wherever he goes next, I mean, good luck. But I think that uh, you've burned more bridges than you realize. Uh, Jacob Zendel says the disin the disintegration of the DeSantis campaign reminds me of the Kennedy Nixon debate. How much better do you think DeSantis would have performed if he was taller, better looking, less awkward? So obviously, like just the the I, 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 you can mog DeSantis on height or whatever. I don't think it's that big of an issue, though. Obviously, it certainly helps. There's just an innate part of people that that is going to vote for that. George Washington leads because he's tall, right? Like a thing. However, um, I, I think that there there was just a stiltedness to his communication i think that was very obvious from the beginning uh I, I think he probably would have been better just leaning into that and being like yeah i'm a little awkward and then i destroy my enemies like i think that would have been probably better than him trying to like hug kids at the county fair or you know whatever like i just i don't think that that was ever going to be his strong suit i think he he should have been prepared for that hole in his game especially going into a, a campaign against somebody like trump uh, just knowing that was that was where he was going to be. Yeah, I mean, like the last president we had that was uh, five foot nine was was Harry S. Truman, and so I mean, we're we're a height centered, media focused society. Like if you had just owned up to it or never wore those heels to begin with, I mean, Rand Paul ran for president. He's like five foot nine as well, and just just don't don't give ammunition to people that are going to relentlessly mock you. I mean, it, it helps immensely. Just just don't just don't do it. Just don't do it. What about the manlet theory of history, though? Right, like the like five eight guys get things done, right? They got the chip well, it's on the their five, shoulder. It's the five seven guys. Oh, uh, so Descantes is too tall. He's too tall. Like, you know, uh, your okay. Lenin five foot seven. A certain, you know, uh, Putin was like, I think it's like five foot eight, five foot seven. Uh, Joseph Stalin was like five foot five. You know, yeah. Trotsky was under six feet. Like, listen, like the manlet theory of history has got some good points. It's just. They all happen to be terrible, like revolutionary leaders from communist bloc countries. So um, be, be mindful of that, Ron. You don't want to be a leftist. Uh, Life of Brian says DeSantis is 180 on Ukraine. Very weak response to the indictments and poor house record. And his lies about running all, uh, at all sealed his loss. Um, you know, it's interesting. I would say of all of those things, for me, Ukraine would have been the one that was it was. He did kind of, it was very clear he was trying to walk the line of, well, we'd have to be very circumspect in our mission and we wouldn't put people on the ground so per se. You know, it was a lot of like, I'm going to hold people accountable, but never a definitive, I'm going to keep us out of this war. And I think if he had spoke more forcefully in that moment, that would have helped him. I'm not sure about the rest. I don't know if his response to the indictments hurt him. Again, I think he kind of walked the line on that where he said, this shouldn't be involved. You know, what else is he going to say? He's running against the man, right? Like, which probably you probably just shouldn't run against the man. But if you're going to, 
like saying, okay, well, they shouldn't be indicted. This is wrong. But at the same time, this makes him uh, the wrong candidate. Like, I think that's the correct tack. So I, I would say the Ukraine one is fair, but I'm not sure his indictment response sealed the deal. No, his indictment response was pretty poor. I mean, when you're getting outshined so. by Vivek, which again raises own questions about what Vivek's role was during. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I uh, I'm afraid he might be some sort of um, uh, middle manager, similar to uh, how so much of the tech sector has been with regards to Trump campaign. But I mean, at least others during the you know either didn't say anything or didn't or were supportive of being against the weaponization of, of the lawfare process was the copy they used. But I don't think too many people brought up his house record at all outside I of, either. I think, yeah. I, I think maybe Scott Greer, but outside of that, almost nobody that I can think of off the top of my head. But uh, again, like when you're coming out of the gate, you should be saying, these are my positions. This is where I stand. I'm open to changing my mind on the availability of new evidence. But yeah, again, you have to, you have to be direct with your messaging. Don't, don't have the flop sweat. Bendover says, why are the forward and introduction in political theology by Schmidt as long as the actual book Christ is King? Christ is King indeed. Uh, yeah, the reason they're that long is that the uh, the essay itself is only like 70 pages and they needed to sell you a book for $30. And so they padded it out. Uh, it's just like every uh, every copy of Art of War or The Prince has like three different commentaries, a forward, uh, you know, an introduction uh and and two other essays written by another professor so they can actually charge you for what otherwise would just be a leaflet yeah remember anytime that a book has been translated into english there's the translator's note the editor's note especially with carl schmidt they have to explain why it's important to read him and yep. despite his association you know so you, you get what you get with that yeah they they gotta they can't ju they can't just sell you a 70 page book so they gotta they gotta they gotta pat it out Creeper Weirdo says the woke will be put away when Hassan Piker puts it away. I'm not budging on that. I don't know anything about Hassan Piker. Anyway, if well, no, was he? No, it was Destiny it... who recently had the marital problem. So I mean, oh, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, the woke will be put away when Hassan Piker decides to fight Sam Hyde and get his lights knocked out. But until then, you know. Uh, Flimplar says, "I think Trump wins, but I don't. See, but I don't see some able and willing to carry that torch after him." It will be interesting, right? The The most interesting uh, question now is, since Trump is pretty much obviously the nominee at this point, uh, what does that mean? Uh, he is leading Biden in many polls, but how reliable are those polls? What will happen after the indictments? Will he be removed from the ballots? There are so many questions. And if he wins, can he even govern? I mean, I'm my bet would be if Trump wins that you should bet on some pretty serious left-wing violence. Uh, Paul Gottfried wrote a very good uh, article for The Blaze, a piece on on the probability of this. I think he's entirely right on that. Um, and I think you should should brace yourself because I think if, if Trump does manage to win through all this, uh, the left will not take it well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever if whatever we see in this year or next, if Trump wins, I mean... 2020 was a good example that if the state really wants to, they can facilitate violence, violent mobs. They can drop off pallets of bricks and bats and shields and weapons. They coordinate with Antifa. They have paramilitary organizations ready to go to support leftist causes. Uh, you know, everyone was making their memes about Alex Garland's Civil War movie, but I hate to break it to you. You're already in one. There's a, uh, oh, lost my super chats there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Machiavelli uh, or Machiavelli no. sucks to go says prude based gun safe. Yeah, I 
you know, mine, mine's in a different room. I live the, the, the incredibly based background there, uh, making sure you get the gun safe. Oh, I, I live in a cabin in the woods, so it's not like I have a lot of room to put there things out of view. And then we have uh, Capitalismo says, uh, hopefully Abbott is in India to learn about their policy for illegal immigration to Assam citizens tests, prison and deportation. An exchange of border control from India. Is that the the the? Well, you know, they, they have that policy, how they like police the, the border they have with China where there's no guns. They just beat each other with sticks. That's not a bad idea either. You know, like I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. But no, he's there for some economic mission right now about why it's important to do it. And uh, yeah, he just tweeted 14 minutes ago to talk about his energy partnership with Texas and India. And he's not reacted at all to the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, Greg Abbott, this is your chance. Literally just say we cannot in good conscience allow the federal government to encourage something that violates the laws and sovereignty of the United States. We are not going to let them in. That's all they have to do. That's yep. all they have to do. And then rule as king of Texas. It's, yes. It's, people will support you guys. People will do. You will have the loyalty of people if you just act to protect the country. I promise. Don't listen to anyone else. I promise. This. You just protect the country. People will love you. Life of Brian says, uh, "What uh, what's more likely, the GOP reforming or dying out and being replaced like the Tories? I mean, GOP Delinda S, you know, right? Like this, you know, the GOP, if if it disappeared tomorrow, uh, it, that would be a huge problem for the regime because it's a tool of control. Uh, I don't think it'll go away for that reason. I think they'll continue to prop it up even as they, there's this weird dichotomy where some people in the in the machine know that they need that legitimate semi legitimate uh opposition to keep the kind of keep the charade going but an increasing number of people on the left actually believe their own propaganda they've actually drank their own Kool-Aid and they really think that they need to go ahead and just basically turn America into a one party state to save democracy like that unironically they they believe that's true and the question is really which one of those forces is going to win? Uh, and I, I probably think it's the latter. But Yeah, I mean, e either which way, there will be some sort of Tory equivalent existence of controlled opposition of the United States, whether it goes under the banner of the Grand Old Party or, or something new. We're still in, uh, we're, we're entering a new phase of the party system in America. So we'll, we'll see what emerges out of it. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I did a video a long time ago on Curtis Yarvin's essay on the, the two-party state. Um, and the, the one party state and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of the two story state, and the one story state, I think that's still pretty relevant. So if you want to go back and check that out, I think that'll help answer that problem for you. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, but as always, thank you so much for coming by and watching. Please make sure that you go ahead and check out the Prudentialist's excellent work. And of course, if this is your first time watching this channel, make sure you go ahead and subscribe, turn on those notifications so you can catch our streams live. Speaking of streams live, uh, tomorrow uh, I will have Dave the Distributus on for an excellent talk, but it will be later. It's going to be at 8 p.m. instead of the normal 3 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you are staying up a little later uh, so that you can watch that one. And of course, if you would like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Orrin McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do that, go ahead and throw us that five-star review. It really helps with the algorithm magic. Thank you for watching, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.